the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Jesus says that we don't even come into relationship with him except that God is first pursuing us with his love and drawing us into that relationship with him. If you know Christ as your Savior, you did not come to that realization because you're just that clever. You and I come to that revelation of who God is and his love for us because God has already been pursuing us and drawing us with his love. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is an interesting and multifaceted story. On the surface, it's a love story between Solomon and his love, his wife. Underneath the surface, as Pastor Gary will be teaching, it's about God's love for Israel, as well as Jesus' love for his church. We'll be reminded that, as many of us can attest, God pursued us when we really weren't interested in knowing about him. Because of his love for us, though, he kept on revealing himself to us and showing us our sin condition and our need for the redemption he'd already taken care of. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, please turn to the book of Solomon, chapters 6 through 8. And let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message, God's Love. We're here in Song of Solomon as we bring our study to a close. We've been looking at this book together for the literal love story that it is between King Solomon, the third king of Israel, and some unnamed Shulamite woman who is no doubt either Solomon's first love or at the very least she is his one true love. And so far we've looked at their courtship, we've looked at their marriage, we've even looked at their honeymoon a little bit, and that's one reason why this book is included in the Bible, because it does communicate to us a celebration of romance and the gift of sex that God has given for enjoyment between a husband and a wife in a monogamous heterosexual relationship. It is a literal love story, but only in the last 200 years has the church been true to the literal content of this book by discussing it as a literal romance. For the first 18 plus centuries of church history since the time that Christ birthed the church and ascended back into heaven. The first 18 centuries or so, this 
book was entirely viewed allegorically in an attempt primarily to avoid the sensual content this book was looked at allegorically now an allegory is a literary tool where a story is written with hidden meaning Pilgrim's Progress is a good example of an allegory, that there's a deeper meaning behind the storyline, and so much of the storyline is symbolic to communicate something deeper. And so uh, Jews and early church fathers and Puritans and Reformers alike interpreted this book allegorically. The Jews looked at this book allegorically from the standpoint of God's love for the nation of Israel. And for that reason, by the way, Song of Solomon might seem a little out of place, but it is read every year at Passover by the Jews. And for the early church fathers, the Puritans, the reformers, this book was viewed allegorically from the vantage point of Christ's love for the church. Uh, In fact, a Puritan preacher by the name of John Gill spent 122 Sundays allegorically going through the book of Song of Solomon. That's like two and a half years studying the book of Song of Solomon. You're welcome. I'll just tell you right now. (laughs) Um, So we're going to do that, not the 122 sermons, but we're going to have one final teaching looking at this book allegorically, giving an overview of several passages that communicate to us a deeper meaning, which is also important. It is an allegorical story here to illustrate the higher spiritual love between God and his people. So even though, again, I've spent the first few weeks saying this is a literal love story, literal love story, literal love story, and we have much to learn about this literal love story, it is fair to say that you can also view this allegorically. I just don't think it's fair to say that's the only way you should look at this book. I think the principal intent is a literal love story, but it clearly does communicate something symbolically about the higher love of God. So today's study is going to be on God's love. You might think this is kind of elementary, But you would be surprised the number of people, and some of you will identify with this, who have a hard time accepting God's love. There are people who either don't understand it for lack of interest or don't receive it because maybe you're plagued by your own past and you feel like stuff that you've done and how could God possibly love me? Maybe you've had poor representation on a human level of genuine love. And so that has skewed your understanding of God's love because you haven't really seen human love in a very genuine and trustworthy way. So there are a lot of people for various reasons who have a hard time just accepting and understanding and receiving God's love. And so if nothing else, for many of you, this might be a familiar topic, but for those of you who have a hard time just receiving God's love, I pray if nothing else, that for you, when you leave here today, you will know and receive the love of God in your life. So that's the topic for today's study. Now, the reason why the allegorical method of interpreting this book is still valid and why it got so much traction by our early church fathers and the Puritans and the Reformers, even though, again, primarily they wanted to avoid the overtly sensual content of this book, but the reason why it's still a valid interpretation is because the Bible does present God's relationship to us symbolically like a marriage. 
There are many references in both the Old Testament about God's love for Israel and in the New Testament about Christ's love for the church and the whole picture of Jesus being the bridegroom and we are the bride. There's so much of it in Scripture that it does lend itself to a valid interpretation of this particular book. And I'm going to give you a few examples. From the Old Testament, you see a lot of language in the Bible about God's relationship to Israel like a marriage. Here's some examples out of Isaiah 54, verse 5. God says, for your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. Isaiah 62, verse 5, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 3:14, God says, return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. And Jeremiah was addressing a time in Israel's history when they were committing adultery, spiritual adultery, by running after other gods, running after other idols, and God is begging them, come back to your true love, come back to your husband. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see many examples like that. In the New Testament as well, marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship to us as the church. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 14, some of John the Baptist's disciples go to Jesus, and they ask him a question. They say, Jesus, why do we, as John's disciples and the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast? Why don't they practice the discipline of fasting? And Jesus replied there in Matthew 9, 15, he answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. And he uses a marriage analogy. He says, well, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the groom here. I've come to, for the bride. And until I leave, there's really no need to fast now. But then when the bridegroom leaves, then the spiritual discipline of fasting will be more significant. So he answers using a marriage allegory there. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 31 and 32, Paul says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, talking about literal marriage. And then he adds there in Ephesians 5, 32, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He even reminds us that the ideal model for marriage is taken from the way that Christ loves the church, the way that Christ loves us, his sacrificial love, his unconditional love, his dying love. All of this is a representation for us of what marriage is to be like when we look at Christ's love for the church. In Revelation 19, 7, John writes, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. Even the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25 is all about the return of Christ. And the whole parable is like unto a marriage scene where in ancient Jewish times, the groom would go away for a year. He would be exempt from military duty. Before he actually consummated the marriage, there would be the exchange of vows. But then there would be, they would be celibate. They would be sexually pure for that year. He would go off, build a home, or a, usually an addition onto his parents' home, be exempt from military service, and then come back for his bride and bring her to his home. Jesus uses all of that analogy there in the parable of the ten virgins, and then he even exemplifies all of that when he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. That's all marriage language. He says, but I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. All of this typology and symbolism is about a marriage. So it's no wonder that the early Jews and even still 
many of conservative Jews today and early church fathers and Puritans and reformers interpreted this book all allegorically. Well, it's about, it's about a love story, and so much of the Bible speaks about the marriage relationship and God's love for Israel and Christ's love for the church. And so, so we get that. And for that reason, we're going to have an overview of this book from that allegorical vantage point as we close out the study today of Song of Solomon. We're going to talk about God's love. For you taking notes, I'm going to share four things with you. The first one is this. His love is a drawing love. It's a wooing love, a drawing love. It is the kind of love that attracts the one that he is pursuing, which is us. Let me draw your attention here. Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 4. In chapter 1, verse 4, she's speaking here. She says, take me away with you, let us hurry. Take me away with you, let us hurry. So allegorically, here's King Solomon. He serves to be a picture of the king, okay, the Lord. And she's saying, take me away. So she's a picture of us, the church. And in New King James, it says, draw me away. ESV says, draw me after you. So that's why I've adopted to use the word draw. His love is a drawing Love. It is the Hebrew word mashach, and it means to draw, to lead, to attract. It's the same word mashach that is used in Jeremiah 31.3, where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you, mashach, I have drawn you with loving kindness. God's love is a drawing love. He draws us to himself. In fact, Jesus even says in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus says that we don't even come into relationship with him except that God is first pursuing us with his love and drawing us into that relationship with him. If you know Christ as your Savior, you did not come to that realization because you're just that clever. You and I come to that revelation of who God is and his love for us because God has already been pursuing us and drawing us with his love. We come to the place of surrender, but God is the one who initiates. All throughout the Bible, God's love is presented as the initiator. And I'm kind of old school with this too. Women want to pursue guys, I guess, within reason, but I'm just kind of old school where the guy pursues the girl and that's the picture. God in pursuit of us. We are the bride that he is seeking and he is the groom and he goes after us. And all through the Bible, he is presented as the initiator. We are always seen in scripture as the responders to his love. God never never in the Bible presents himself as someone who will love us if we would just first love him. If we would somehow just start loving him and being nice to him, then he'll be nice to us and love us in response. That's never the way he's presented in Scripture. It's always the opposite. God is always the initiator. God always goes after us. God is always demonstrating his love towards us. And listen to this, Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God pursues us. He doesn't wait. Aren't you you glad that God didn't wait for you to get your act together before he started loving you? God doesn't wait for us to somehow get ourselves together, get our act together, clean our act up, and then maybe we'll be presentable, and then maybe God will love us. Do you know how many people think that? They think, I just, I need to get myself right first somehow, and then God will accept me and love me and receive me. No, 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 no. 
Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated, showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messed up, broken down people, God says, I love you. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV? Man, they, they tug at the heartstrings. Those commercials about abandoned dogs. Oh, I got to turn the channel. I mean, you know, and they want you to, you know, contribute or to rescue a dog. And for those of you who contribute and rescue animals, that's wonderful. I'm just talking about that the commercial itself is like so, it's gut wrench. And then they play that music too that's, ah, oh, like, do 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 you know, and you're just like, oh, and it's snowing and the dog's shivering, okay? <laughs> That's how I see myself. It's like I'm the leftover puppy nobody wanted at the pound, and God said, I'll take you. That's the way he reaches out for us. It's not because we present ourselves as so lovely. God just loves us with this unconditional, undeserved love, and he pursues us. He's the initiator, and we're the responder to his love. Some of you, though, will struggle with this. You say, well, Pastor G, you don't know the kind of things I've done. And I don't really think that God can love me because of some of the things I've done. Okay, look, is God grieved when we sin against him? Of course he is. He's grieved when we sin against him. But he does not stop loving us. Are you grieved when you're, if you're a parent? Are you grieved when your kids disobey you? Of course you are. But you do not stop loving them. Now, there's a whole other topic about God's love expressed in discipline, and that's a whole other Bible study, and He certainly will do that to express His love to us because He's never content to leave us the way we are. But you know that expression, we can hate the sin but love the sinner. God is grieved over our sin. When we disobey him, he's brokenhearted about it, but he still loves us, just not our sin. In fact, Romans 2 verse 4 says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's like God loves us so much that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then how does he win us? By his kindness. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his Mercy, chesed, it is God's loving, undeserved mercy that he still dispenses to us to move us to the place where we are convicted about our sins so that we might respond in a right relationship with him. So God loves us despite our sin, and he loves us to bring conviction about our sin so that we might come to a right relationship with him. You can't get so far away from God's love based on whatever pit you have fallen into, even by your own choosing. I mean, yes, I would encourage you, turn from your sin, repent, run to the loving arms of your Father. But our mistakes and sins and past do not somehow create a barrier to God's love. He does not like what we choose to do in disobedience to Him, but He still loves us. Betsy Ten Boom the sister of Corey Ten Boom, Betsy Ten Boom, before she died at Ravensbrück Nazi prison camp, said this, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God's love is a drawing 
love. Number two, God's love is a dependable love. Go to chapter 2 here in Song of Solomon. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Now, show of hands, how many of you remember, if you grew up in church and you were in Sunday school, how many of you remember singing that as a Sunday school song? He leads me to the banqueting table. His banner over me is love. Remember that? I'm not sure if I have the motions down right. Are those the right motions? I think they are. And I remember singing that as a kid. I think actually, by the way, um, Vineyard or Bethel, they've made it a popular worship song again. But back in the day, we sang it in Sunday school, probably still do. And I'll be honest with you, I'm singing it. I'm going through the hand motions, okay? Going through the hand motions. I had no idea what I was singing, <laughs> let alone that it came from Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 4. Okay, you didn't either, so don't judge me. You didn't sit there as a six-year-old going, oh, this is Solomon 2, verse 4. Yes, it is. You didn't know. Like a lot of those Sunday school songs, I was just into all the hand motions. I had no idea. Remember the song, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I'm just trying to keep up with them. I don't even, where are we going with this? I, I had no idea what fountain they're talking about. So, now that you read this verse, you know that's where that song came from. But what does it mean? He leads me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Well, a banner, a banner is a flag or a military standard that identifies the unit to which you belong. So in biblical times, and still today, there, there are flags, there are standards for military units. But, but specifically speaking, in biblical times... There was a standard. There was a flag. You would rally to that flag. That's the unit you belong to. And there's a sense of pride to that too, is there not? Those of you in the military, you should be proud of the unit that you belong to. And how many people in the military introduce themselves if you get just a little bit deeper in their military career and they'll say things to you like 82nd Airborne Division? Why? Because they're proud of that. And there's a military insignia. There's an emblem that goes with that. Where there's a patch that goes with that. And there's some sense of pride to that. Because you're saying, I belong to that. This is what she's saying in that language. It's poetic in terms of her love relationship with Solomon. But allegorically, what she's saying, and then I'll translate allegorically. She's saying, Solomon's love is so real, so public, so genuine, that it's as if he's put a standard over me that says, I belong to him and he belongs to me. He's waving the banner, he's waving the flag with the insignia that says, I love this girl. I'm devoted to her. My love is dependable. And she's in response saying, and mine is to him as well. So in an allegorical sense, this is what God does for us. He waves the banner over us and he says, you belong to me. I love you with an everlasting love. You can depend on my love. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. God's love is dependable, and he waves the banner, the standard that says, you belong to me. And we in response say, Lord, and I belong to you. It is his expression, his unashamed, proud, openly displaying his love over us as the standard that we belong to him. God has raised a banner over you, and he declares his love for you that says, in effect... You belong to me, and I love you with an everlasting love. 
Psalm 136 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. In Isaiah 54, 10, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God's love is a dependable love. There's much more to learn from Pastor Gary's study in the book of Song of Solomon. But that's all we have time for today. If you missed any part of our message today on Cornerstone Connection, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to listen again. You'll find this teaching and others from the series as well as more books of the Bible under the Teachings tab. Pastor Gary has also compiled some additional resources for some of his teaching series that we hope will enhance your personal study time. You can even keep all of this with you wherever you go when you download our mobile app. We'd love to connect with you on social media too. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and jump into the conversations while you're there. Just follow the links at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come visit us in person. Cornerstone Chapel meets every Sunday and Wednesday to worship God and spend time in the Word. Our service times and directions can be found at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Can't join us in person? No problem. We live stream our weekly services, and you can even access them on our mobile app. Our website one more time is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.